I'm not sure what life would have been like without my siblings. Shared memories, growing up together, all the fun stuff we'd get up to. They were my first friends. Right now, in New South Wales, there are over 15,000 children in out-of-home care, and many of them, including sibling groups, urgently need a nurturing, safe and stable home. Research shows that when siblings stay together in out-of-home care, they have much better and more stable long-term outcomes. Education, development, it all improves. Right now, there's a critical shortage of carers in New South Wales. So if you can open your home and your heart to siblings in need, contact My Forever Family New South Wales on 1300 782 975. Siblings who stay together, thrive together. Now, out of 10. Oh, about 15. <laughs> and it's because this You're is... You're like a dog who hasn't been walked for a month. <laughs> Now, we should say right off the bat, this is a bespoke episode where all we are talking about is succession and succession-related content. So if you are not up to speed with succession, switch this off immediately because it is going to be spoilers to the nth degree. Look, I think you gave it like nearly two weeks before you watched oh episode three I came of wedding and the rest of us in your social orbit were just like... Can I? I couldn't even look you in the eye. Like I was just sort of walking around going like, I can't, she'll read it in my eyes, she'll know. <laughs> well, let me, I want to ask you what you think the definition of a spoiler is because after episode three, Connor's wedding, everyone knows, you know, what we're talking about if you've watched it. Why am I dancing around it? Logan Roy dies, okay? <laughs> um, I, I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating. I reckon about 25 people over the course of that week texted me to go, just checking, have you watched the latest episode of Succession? To the degree that I actually thought, okay, Logan. This isn't just a wedding, is it? This isn't just a wedding coming up, like something's happened here. And so I started thinking, is it possible that Logan Royce died? I thought maybe Kendall had killed himself. But whatever, the sheer volume of people who were not doing spoilers but just asking me how I watched was almost a spoiler. It almost yeah. became its own spoiler being asked yeah, about it. Yeah, but you asked for it. You I did, asked for it by delaying. Like, well, I mean, what reasonable person would do that? Well, because I'm because a tired ass and I don't have binge. And so I'm reliant, out, man. Like, I'm I mean, reliant on somebody else who went away, who was incredibly selfish and left town. And so I had to wait till he got back to go and, you know. Could have watched it at my place, mate. Could have actually. But then that would have been disloyal because I promised to watch it with these other person. So... What Mate, if do? the other person chooses to go out of town, I reckon... Fuck them. Fuck, fuck em. off. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody in the world say fuck off better than... Okay, Brian so Cox? let's, before we go into all this right. succession-related like, content... Let's do the fluffing. Let's do, let's the, do fluffing. the fluffing. Okay. So, um, so let's just start with the Connor's wedding episode. So did you see that coming at all? No. Okay, so what was your reaction when you were watching? And I sort of assumed that they have to kill Logan off at some point, but, like, because... There was still so much Logan-related fuckery happening. Like, this is just a general swear, you know, <laughs> moratorium on this episode, I think. Totally. Sorry, Mum. It's just that he was so deep in, like, because of the big deal, you keep thinking, well, there have to be two parties to this to make it a tense and ongoing situation. So I think I my brain was lulled into a bit of... Um, security that he would keep living until this fight to the death between him and his children over this deal yeah right. um, was over but right. like in some like it's absolutely spectacular stroke of like just burning the villages didn't they plot-wise. you and i also tragically have had the experience of a sudden death and mm. um didn't they capture that 
sense well, like the complete discombobulation of that moment, particularly when you're not in the vicinity and attempting to process what yeah. you've just been told. And just that 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 kind of almost, right? almost sort of sickening sense of the centre of your earth shifting yeah. and you, you, you sort of feel like you're a bit high or something and you're kind of like, you're like, you're looking around and physically everything around you looks the same as it did three seconds ago, but actually everything's changed, even yeah. though it looks the same. And the performances of those, of the royal oh. children, like all absolutely superb in their own way. And we'll talk in a minute about like how they did all of it. But like the funny thing is, not very funny, but like because you didn't watch the episode for so long, I actually had a, <laughs> I had a message from... Um, some funny fairly senior at the ABC. <laughs> Let's just call him Justin Stevens. Um, saying, mate, I just noticed from Sales's socials that she hasn't watched the Connor's wedding episode yet. Um, do you think we ought to warn her about like, oh, because it was dad suddenly having a heart attack? Yeah, it was not dissimilar to yeah. my father dying. Yeah, and I then felt like terrible that I texted <laughs> Murph and I'm like, mate, do you think we like Justin thinks we like? And she's like, cool, I didn't think of that either. Jeez, we're good then, friends, aren't we? And then coincidentally, at exactly the same moment that they're having this conversation, unbeknownst to me, um, I've read a piece in the New York Times about Cornell University and how they've basically stood up to some students who wanted them to introduce more trigger warnings in right. lectures. Um, <clears throat> because an English lecturer was teaching a book that had a rape in it. Somebody in the class who had filed a, a harassment complaint against a colleague felt triggered by it. Mm. Her friend started this petition and they said, well, we demand more trigger warnings on stuff. And then the Cornell Uni, whatever their equivalent is of their vice chancellor, came back with a very vehement, no, this is an educational institution. We're in favour of free speech and people learning and, you know, life is uncomfortable. Get used to it. Kind of vibe, not quite that blunt. Anyway. But that's how you would have phrased it. <laughs> anyway, I then send the New York Times article to Crab and Murph with this long rant about, wow, this is just incredible and, you know, this is fantastic that people are finally standing up to this nonsense. So I went on this massive, massive rant. Meanwhile, they're like, should we give sales a trigger warning about it? <laughs> so I'm then holding a side conversation with Miranda saying, is this our answer, do you think? <laughs> and then something else weird happened that like, so I watched the first episode of this show called Beef which looks hilarious and is. It's, like, really clever and smart and I'll tell you about it later. But, like, um, but there is, like, a suicide sort of scene in it which is supposed to be a bit of a visual gag but absolutely not for me because of, you know, my brother killing himself a, a year ago and there was elements of the scene that really just – I like, I just – I was laughing along and all of a sudden I was yeah. in – just insane howling floods of tears, mm. but like, how would you? Like, oh, how would you do? Like, you know, I don't. I, it's it's hard. Like, I like, I don't think. I wish there'd been a trigger warning because I'm like, well, how would you phrase oh, that? Well, like, how would succession? Is, yeah. Like for me, like, uh, just for anyone whose father died suddenly of a heart attack and they were in a remote location and they got called while their father was still alive but unresponsive. You might find this episode triggering. Like, yeah. you know, it's yeah. kind of you just can't possibly um, do it. But in terms of the back to the question of. Um, killing off Logan Roy. Funnily enough, I had just had a conversation about this with my friend Evan Williams, who's a writer, and we were talking about, you know, do, does Logan have to die? And, and Evan made the point, and, and I've seen it actually made by the writers of the show, he's like, 
the show's called Succession, right? Yeah, so right. if you don't running out of opportunities. Yeah, and we kind of had reached the conclusion that if you don't kill off Logan Roy, you've kind of violated the whole premise of the yeah. show as set up in season one, episode one. And so we felt that they would, but I, I thought it would be like final episode terrain. Although, but actually it's I mean, a brilliant decision to go earlier because of the yeah. creative possibilities. And because they've been so firm about this being the final season, I mean his death would be the ultimate cliffhanger. Like it would be unsatisfying yeah, to right. not see what happened after that. Exactly. It's a much better The more better you thing. think about it, like there's a lot of the story to unfold after he dies. So it makes sense to kill him off this totally. early. But anyway, tremendous piece of... I'm just looking at my phone because I've got that much succession content that oh I've had God, to write I the know, most extensive yeah. notes. So the place where Evan and I had this conversation was we went to this event where um, episode two of Succession was screened in a cinema yeah. and Nicholas Braun, who plays Greg, cousin Greg was so there. Cool. And so there was a little Q&A with him. He was fantastic. He was so interesting about things. So to, so a few things Greg. that I gleaned, gleaned from him that I thought were really great was the person questioning him said, since the show's come out, you must have rubbed shoulders with some uber-rich people who, you know, kind of see themselves in it. Um, what's their reaction to the show? And it was so interesting. He said, he said, I don't actually think the uber-rich see how dreadful the Roys are. He said, I think they watch it just to see themselves. It's almost like porn was how he described it. Wow. The other thing that he said that was fascinating was he was asked about Greg, who's, you know, a fantastic character and how, how he gets got the into the Greg character and the Greg vibe right. And he said when they were about to start shooting season one, he was minding this dog for somebody and he said the dog was like really super needy and he said to the degree that it was annoying him all the time and he'd be like constantly saying to the dog, just get out of here, get, get, get. Um, and he's, it suddenly struck him one day like that dog energy, that's Greg's energy. And so wow. even season one, when you look at his haircut, he's got this shaggy haircut yeah. like a dog. Yeah. And so he said the whole time he's he was always wearing that anorak. It's like a dog jacket. Yeah. And it was just, I thought that was so brilliant because when he said that, I was like, oh, I completely get it. The other thing I saw him, I was watching, I was on this deep YouTube rabbit hole last Where night of love, succession yeah. stuff. Oh God, it's never ending. It's replaced Harry Styles. Um, Thank God for that at least. <laughs> Harry's um, relieved. <laughs> There was, a, a, there was a Nick Braun bit where he was talking about, again, prior to starting the shooting, it, it, the question was about the essence of Greg's character and he basically said he's a lurker and he yeah. said that was something that was not kind of common to me because he said I get out of awkward conversations really quick as a human, I don't lurk. Yeah. And so he said to get in the right vibe, what he did was he would walk into shops <gasps> and stand awkwardly close to people and then strike up awkward conversations like about their oh. watch or their haircut or what they were looking at or whatever. And then he said his goal was to keep it going as long as possible and to just not avoid the awkwardness. <gasps> Isn't that brilliant? Wow. That's like the sort of nerd equivalent of Leonardo DiCaprio living as a savage in the wilderness. <laughs> Isn't it? I thought that was just what a fantastic idea to like get into that zone. And he said... <laughs> finished it by saying conversations will actually go a lot longer than you can imagine he was like people will just keep talking to you so it was quite interesting but what a brilliant thing to do well one of the things that I just love about a lot of people in the cast is their capacity to physically assume the attributes mm. oh. of the characters like there's something about the way Greg carries himself that is yep. implicitly obsequious that makes him 
look more weak-chinned than he actually is. 100%. And so you see him doing publicity and you're like, oh, you're such a handsome guy. Same, that's um, Tony Hale as well, from who yeah, we love from Veep yeah, and Benedict yeah. Society. You see him in reality and you go, oh, that dude's extremely handsome and yeah. elegant. And yeah. ev- yet everything I've seen him in, he looks geeky and awkward. Yeah. Um, what about speaking of the physical embodiment, embodiment, like Kieran Culkin, if he was here, would be sitting like with his legs up like this. He never sits straight in a chair. He's yeah. always like curled up into the chair yeah. or legs hanging over the edge. Or Yeah, that's fantastic. The other thing I saw on the deep drive last night was um, Brian Cox. They, they were asked about their favourite insult and Brian's yeah. like, oh, I don't pay attention to that. I'm just in the moment. And then he said, but I tell you what, people come up to me in the street and they want me to tell them to fuck off. <laughs> Down the barrel of their camera. I get have to do selfies with people telling them to fuck off. And why, why would anyone want me to tell them to fuck off? It's just a mystery to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He's genius. So anyway, so back to the, then the shooting of the, right. of the show and yeah. the reaction. Okay, so what was your reaction then when Tom's rung them and gone, something's really badly wrong with your father? Well, it's a classic Tom situation because he's gaming, like he's, he's not telling them the whole truth which is that he's obviously dead. Um, so he's kind of work. You can see his brain is working to establish how this situation is going to pan out for him. Right. And he's too scared to um, confirm what's happened. So he's kind of like stringing them along, partly out of compassion, I think, but also partly out of his natural tendency to play for time and work out, you know, what this is going to mean for him. Because he's, you know, sensationally withdrawn his support from the siblings and thrown his lot in with Logan, who's who's now, you know, expiring on a plain floor. See, I thought maybe it was a double cross. I thought because they didn't show Logan straight away, so I and you couldn't see what was happening. So I and so I'm watching it thinking, oh wow, this could be the I mean, would they be this big big of an assholes? Like this would be such an asshole thing to do. And then there's a certain point at which you see in the background, they still haven't shown Logan, but just in the in the out of focus background where Tom's on the phone, you see someone doing chest compressions. Yeah. And so then I was thinking, Oh, this is real. Either it's real or it's extremely well staged. Yeah. (laughs) Although Brian Cox in some of the publicity claims that it's it's an open question because you never actually I see dead Logan. Say that, yeah. yeah, I thought that was maybe. Well, there's interesting. a body bag that comes off the plane. So, the other thing was they had to take Brian out for lunch. This was another thing I heard. Oh. Um, so, I highly recommend the HBO Companion podcast oh, so session. Yeah. It's so good. I haven't watched. I haven't listened to that to date. But like, oh, you will really like yeah. it. Yeah, I no, I've listened to the one on Logan's oh, on Connor's, Connor's wedding, wedding. Right, but I haven't listened to any of the. Oh, other they're apps, all but, fantastic. Yeah. But so the Connor's wedding one where they interview Brian Cox in the back half. Firstly, he is. I adore his crankiness. He is so deliciously cranky but also kind of not in an alienating way. Like he just gets revved up but he's still kind of charming. It's hard to explain. Yeah, also he's very, very unprecious about what he does. So he's like a beautiful, beautiful um, counterpoint to Jeremy Strong. (laughs) You know that original GQ profile that was so incredibly controversial? The New Yorker. Um, Oh, was yeah, the GQ right, was the yeah. follow-up, yeah. Oh, right, okay, sorry, yeah. And one of the cast members, I think Kieran Culkin yeah. said, well, the thing is that, you know, we all realise this is comedy but, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy thinks, thinks it's, it's Shakespeare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was fascinating. Um, and I'll, didn't Brian Cox in that say something like, 
He could, he, so have, you know, he basically like, that kid could try acting, you know, basically <laughs> rather than like embodying that. Yeah. He was like, I, I worry about him, how tortured he kind of is in the process. Yeah. Brian in this podcast said, so they took him out, Jesse Armstrong, the showrunner, took him out for lunch to say, um, we're killing off Logan in episode three. <laughs> and Brian said the first thing he said was, I assume I just get paid for the whole season. Though, right? <laughs> anyway, his take on that was like, because that's what you ask when you grow up in the circumstances I did in Scotland. Yeah. You just want to make sure you're still getting paid for the entire thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so I wondered if it was a double cross. And then, of course, I just sank into the moment because you realise it's not yeah. shit. They're actually going to kill off Logan Roy. So I didn't notice at the time because I was so absorbed in what was happening. But that's a single take from when they... right. So from when I didn't really clock that until I listened to the podcast either, and then I was just like, "I want to rewatch it now because yeah. that's incredible." So they basically filmed it like a play. Um, yeah. So, Kieran, it, I think it's from the moment when Kieran Culkin and um, Jeremy Strong go to that private room, yep. and they get on the phone. Then I, it goes for twenty-seven or twenty-eight minutes. It's yep. one take. Yeah. Then they go upstairs and find Shiv, and yeah, that's kind extraordinary. Of, and nobody thinks of Connor. <laughs> Do you know, I loved one of my favourite bits in that episode. I think the Connor character's evolution is really great. Um, when they finally think to tell Connor and the first thing he says is, he never liked me. It was such a great reaction. Yeah, so so it's this single take. So apparently when they were doing it, the kind of cameras they use don't have the... I've got 10 minutes yeah. to roll in them, yeah. So they had to hide batteries on the set so that people could take turns swapping out their battery and putting in a fresh one. And then they did it. They only Such did the one take. Such a flex. It's incredible. <laughs> they did the one take and then that was it basically. And um, then Matthew McFadden was um, in... who's another great physical actor because he's an intensely handsome man who somehow makes himself repellent in this series. Like there's something incredible. So, icky about him that you forget that he's really handsome and then you see him doing publicity you're like oh my god um <laughs> but apparently they had him on the other end of the phone while they were shooting this and he was in london in the middle of the night yeah. and he's just on the phone you know and this is the point that jesse armstrong makes in that podcast that the cast are super generous to each other and so they yeah are, you know yeah that's right just adds to that kind of um authenticity i mean i'd love to ask them if i was ever interviewing them do the real life relationships ever start to replicate what they are in the characters because like Brian Cox just has he's much older than them he is like a, a fatherly kind and, of thing but a peppery sort of peppery you know. kind of intimidating dude I would wonder if you mm. did you know start to behave and Kieran Culkin and Sarah Snook seem to have this kind of hilarious riffy kind mm. of relationship and clearly from those pieces we were talking about Jeremy Strong's a little bit isolated from the yeah. rest of the yeah. cast so you mentioned before um and we've had this sitting in our little <laughs> chat turn list for weeks and weeks waiting till we could talk about succession to bring it up so there was two profiles of Jeremy Strong one was in the New Yorker maybe a year ago longer um a while back now a couple two, of years maybe yeah. and it was um as Crab said, there were some fairly frank assessments of Jeremy Strong and um, his extreme method kind of acting. And when it was printed, people came out, friends, to defend him, to say that's pretty cruel. But in it, even the cast members of Succession had been kind of yeah. a bit unflattering of him. Um, and then did you ever read the G GQ piece? Yeah, I did. Oh. I just wanted to punch him in the face by the end of it. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, GQ, I was saying to my mate, GQ has a house style that I would call oh. tortured bro. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? 
Oh, it's like yeah, tortured bro. They just run everything. They hit F1 and it puts it through a style thing yeah. and then it adds like Jeremy Strong turned up the collar on his Armani coat. Yeah. And then it's like and he said to me, man, you know, I was reading some Kierkegaard last week and it's just like this kind of shit. Oh, my God. I just – my balls were aching by the end of that piece, frankly. <laughs> Sorry. I mean – it was sort of interesting, but I also just went, oh, everyone is trying so hard. Just have a cup oh. of tea, guys. Oh, that, because yeah. they do like hiking and, oh. you know, and he's, I think he's wearing gaiters oh, or something. Man. And then it there's was... a brief kind of digression into the oh. fact that he always wears brown and oh. why is that? And then there's like, oh, I yeah, don't know. it was just, and, and there's a there's... lot of the reporter, one of the hallmarks of Tortured Bro is that <laughs> there's a lot of first person of the reporter, and the reporter will be like grappling with, you know, I'm trying to just understand this cool, but but it's like there's a coolness or something. Like, yeah. hey, I'm a cool guy and he's a cool guy. Yeah, and we I can think be we can cool just guys. play cool and we can be cool guys together. Yeah. And just and trying to understand him. There's always a slight threat that fly fishing might be involved oh, at some point. It's just, it's, it's like always. a little bit. I've read a bit too much Hemingway and I haven't quite. There, there, the there could be rock climbing. Possibly. There'll be some yeah. some eating, maybe a protein shake could be involved. There'll be stu- a lot of and stuff then, like that. And then maybe depending on where they are in their 12-step programs, maybe oh. a lot of scotch at some point. Oh, 100%. Jazz, do you think? Mm. <sighs> would they be jazz or would they be no. like Acid House Ooh, or something? No, Acid House. Perish the thought. No, there'd be some sort of like – there'd be some kind of obscure punk reference that's very – Oh, yeah. yeah. It'd have to be very underground, I think. And maybe like – Jeremy Strong lifts the needle on his original 1972 mm. such and such turntable. You got it, you got it, you got and, it, you know, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's my weakness, he confesses, as he lights up a filterless jetan. He owns, <laughs> he owns 56 turntables and they're all housed in a, you know. Oh, my God. This is how these articles He's roll, He's definitely right? a 56 turntable, like, I mean, high I, risk. I like those GQ articles because I do find them wildly entertaining and the people give a lot of access because they're usually very – Kind, they're, they're positive in a, as Marina Hyde once said about the one about Brad Pitt, like what <laughs> what agent or therapist would possibly give the green light to him hawking Ralph Lauren Not in once, a dank cabin? <laughs> 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 but um, the thing that though that really was like a oh in that piece was so of course they get around to talking about the controversial New Yorker piece, yeah. which was so you know harsh of Jeremy Strong. And the thing that was killer, like, so Jeremy Strong's backstory is he kind of grew up in just like, you know, lower middle class, you know, bumfuck America. Mm-hmm. And he um, ends up working super hard and like ingratiating himself to people, including Daniel Day-Lewis. He gets this minor He's thing being a runner or something. He's being a but runner, he but he's himself, like, he you know. makes himself like he's just, you know, bends over backwards. And he's always like, so the, the kind of vibe of the article is he's like, he's a bit of a suck up to everybody to try to get ahead. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, then when, so when they ask him what was his reaction to this mm. piece, he goes, you know what? I just felt the most. I wasn't angry. Um, I just felt the biggest sense of shame because I felt like everyone knows that I'm a striver. I am a striver. I am that person. I have tried to get out of my circumstance, and I just felt this most enormous shame that it was so obvious. And it was just like, yeah. oh God, you poor bastard. And so, oh, it was it was really crushing. And I think there's a certain amount of. Um truth to that like that there is this sort of obligation to be effortless yeah um, and that's not possible for everybody right like yeah um and there's no doubt that like his ability is unbelievable but also I think when you are 
I mean, where, where I think that line of analysis stops is I think you can be a striver and you can work hard and I don't think there's a disgrace in that. But I think when you take yourself so seriously that you impact people around you yep. with the extent to which you're demanding to do things your way or whatever, that, that there is a, you know, that, that is not a victimless crime. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Like it's kind of... Um I don't know, I've always thought, like I've worked with some amazing people over my years and I've always felt like I would take a slightly less amazing product for ease of workability and just yeah. for being a nice person that everyone wants to work with. Yeah. Um, I still want super high standard yeah. but I'll, 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 you know, I'll skip the gold walkley if I don't have to, you know, deal with very, very difficult um, personalities yeah. and people that make everyone's life around them a misery. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's hard to but obviously... Difficult people are important to have around. A, they sort of teach you how to deal with difficult people, which yeah, is, true. you know, um, significant. But, like, I also think, and I am, as you know, just a dirty old femo, but I also think that there is something really gendered about this kind of obsession with character acting, you know, in... Um, in Hollywood and beyond this idea that, you know, you hand yourself over a thousand percent to the role and you go and live in the wilderness for 30 days and you go and, or you live as a, you know, as a gang member or you do whatever, because traditionally it's usually men who have time who, to go and do all that shit because the chicks on set are just like juggling shit. Like, that show. And, and old Jeremy Strong's, you know, like, at some point in the interview, he's like waving to his children where they are being looked after by their mum up in the, you know, as he goes off for a nine-hour hike with this dickhead from GQ. I just think, wow, mate. Like, and, I, and I understand that that is, you know, I tend to turn to that analysis quite easily, but I just think I wonder if he would be getting away with all this sort of shit on set if he was, you know, Sarah Snook. Call My Agent um, parodied that the whole thing so brilliantly in an episode that I laughed for days after it about this <laughs> God, actor. Oh my god, what about the episode where the actor <sighs> who's played like that Leonardo DiCaprio Revenant style dude yeah. and then he can't get out of character. <laughs> the film's over in the doghouse. He's, he's living in the yard and his wife calls the agent to come and like try and get this sorted. And then it ends with him going to that shoot and <laughs> They've prized that disgusting, stinky blanket off him and he shows up. <laughs> he shows up with a, sorry, you'll have to translate that from the hysterical ease for me. I can't remember what he showed up wearing. He shows up with just a bag that he's holding and you just know that he is pretending to have dropped the character. Anyway, he opens the bag and it's like the stinky duffel coat or whatever's in there. Anyway, it's however it's done. Oh, my God. I just – I laughed for days. I've not watched it again since that one time, but, oh, my God, it was just absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, so two other little things. Um, so in the HBO pod there's a fantastic episode where um, – I think it might be episode two, they get an actual American divorce lawyer to come in and talk about how would Tom and Shiv's divorce play out in real life and is that a thing that you ring every divorce lawyer to conflict them out and what do you do? Oh, such brilliant tactic. I love it. I mean, I Yeah. And so this woman, uh, the divorce lawyer, who was quite famous, Laura Wasser, I think her name is, um, she said, yeah, that is a thing, but she said her advice would be if she was, say, Tom's lawyer, would be... Right, he's just said to Shiv he wants it to be amicable. Mm. So now that he's done that, a nice move for him to do would be to go, 
look, you want one of those people? There's a couple of them I'm happy to like call them and I'll say it's completely fine and you can have one of those ones that you want. And then she said that would like take the temperature down and she can get one of those people. Anyway, it was really, it was very interesting talking, hearing her talk about these kind of like very rich people divorces and how they tend to play out and so on. Um, the other bit of succession content that I adored was the LA Times did oh. an obit of Logan Roy as if a real media mogul called Logan Roy had died and it had all of the attention to detail and effort that those great American <laughs> newspapers put into the obits of people like that. Oh, God, it was just – it filled me with delight when it I read was, it. Yeah, and then I noticed they had to put a note, an editorial note saying <laughs> – this is uh, actually an obituary of a, of a fictitious <laughs> character. <laughs> thought, oh, my God, the world's full of literalists, isn't it? But anyway, it was, it was a very enjoyable read. Now, um, I can only assume the timing of this was done very deliberately, oh, right? Oh, my God. But are we talking about the same thing? Murdoch's. Vanity Fair. Sure. Vanity wow. Fair Murdoch's profile. Absolutely incredible. So <laughs> where do we even start? Okay, so like... I first saw a story, I think it must have been in the Herald or something, that referred to this explosive Vanity Fair piece. And, like, look, there are combinations of words that set my pulse racing in the world and one of them is explosive Vanity Fair piece. Because, like, (laughs) I don't really read Vanity Fair, but every now and again they just pull something that is extraordinary out and this piece is extraordinary. Well, oh, my God. Um... So firstly, Vanity Fair, I think dating from the Tina Brown as editor era, they get they do these deep dives into things that it's like you kind of have to work for Vanity Fair to know the people that are going to give you the right, access, yeah. right? <laughs> so reading it, I think it's fairly indisputable that Jerry Hall was a major source for this article. And well, she signed the thing saying she wouldn't be a source for succession. Oh, wasn't that incredible? That was, that was my favourite bit of colour, <laughs> that their divorce settlement included her agreeing she would not provide the makers of succession with any ideas for the program. What a piece Brilliant. of detail. Who would divorce Jerry Hall, by the way? She just seems like incredibly good fun well that was the thing that seemed was so, the smoking apparently well she she claimed well she didn't claim a friend of jerry hall's <laughs> claimed, close to hall sources close to jerry hall sources <laughs> intimately sources familiar with jerry said, hall <laughs> well <laughs> um i love that mick jacker got involved as well oh that was oh, oh the oh, color oh, the detail <laughs> so jerry this, gets, is a, this is a man who married jerry hall by slaughtering a chicken in like fiji wherever it was and eventually like their divorce actually turned on the question of whether they were legitimately married at all because oh. they married in some like fijian ceremony wow I didn't or know balinese that. maybe it was balinese it was a holiday location anyway and they got married and there was like some chicken thing I might it, be was, ma- like, it was it was i studied it in law like in family law wow was, yeah so um, anyway so jerry track, old mick so they think they're going all right well, sh- sorry jerry hall apparently thinks they're going all right and then she gets a text message from rupert just going look i'm really sorry about this but it just isn't working out i think we i've need got to, to end our relationship yeah and so Don't but then email. she she After gets donald this, trump has asked her to be like secretary of state or something well that was the other thing that was fascinating was like she she and Trump clearly there was issues where Jerry Hall seemed like a bit of a lefty and she didn't really fit in in that world um but so Jerry's inherited this house in the UK that she's gone and moved into and then she's discovered that there's some kind of cameras or surveillance or something so Mick Jagger comes into it because his security firm comes around to debug Jerry Hall's house it was just like um so the thing that – I mean, look, there was a lot of things in that that stuck with me. The succession detail was one. But the other one was, um, oh, my God, Rupert Murdoch's been really sick and they've kept that really quiet. What? 
Yeah. Like a lot of series of serious and bad illnesses. So Including breaking his back on some yacht yeah. and then being medivaced out. A couple of rounds of a, pneumonia. Yeah. And, yeah. So um but yeah, what a what an exhilarating read. But I didn't I mean, it was chock full of incredible detail, but it didn't really give me any better insight into who is likely to take over there. Well, I mean, if we could pivot now to the discovery process to the <laughs> Dominion lawsuit. Oh yeah. Wow. Do you, that, do you have the I sense mean, this podcast could go for eight hours? It could. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, yeah. I love that you're up for that for once. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just reflexively no, looked at your watch and gone. No, mm-hmm. Lisa Miller just tried to ring me and I could feel it vibrating under my bum. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the effect that I get when Lisa <laughs> tries to call me too. So, I mean, it's extraordinary to me that the that the news kind of legal team would allow this to get to this point like if you knew the material that was available for discovery surely you'd settle before discovery rather than after like it's just also knowing how sick Rupert is and that he was going to potentially have to appear then but he already had to give a deposition which was a debacle so like what was that piece that I was there was a piece in the fin the other day um that um was a really good um exploration of what had come out during the discovery process and basically there's this just just terrifying email trail of one by one senior figures at Fox saying oh my god this like ballot machine stuff is bullshit there's nothing to it Um, but also freaking out that because they made the call um, on election night on Georgia um, that was seen as sort of, you know, turning the tide and kind of making it clear that Trump hadn't won the election. The whole Fox viewership was like turning against the network with such violence and fleeing it that the ratings were like plummeting. So this became this kind of intense financial crisis, which is why they, despite saying behind the scenes, well, Trump's nuts, Giuliani's nuts and, you know, all of this with the election was stolen is completely specious on air you know all their big people are saying well look you know there's a lot to be you know there's a lot to be concerned about with these color machines and just the just rank dishonesty is it's just gobsmacking and the failure of journalism i mean just is bizarre like you you would call it journalism well i'm not no i know that's what i'm saying how can one i don't know it's such a um portrayal of what actually is the handling of information in circumstances like that. And the most shocking thing in this fin piece that I was reading um, was, and they went through all of the sort of on-air Fox people and just had this brutal kind of what they said on-air, what they were saying in their emails, which is just like shocking, like Tucker Carlson and all of them. But um, the extraordinary thing was that this, you know, this, this idea that there was evidence that the Dominion voting like ballot machines had some weird, you know, tampering that delivered Trump votes to somehow to Biden, was being handled as a genuine news story. But there was no evidence, but there were people saying, oh, there is evidence, you know, there's there's software details. Yeah. Um, and essentially the evidence came from some email from this woman who said she'd had a vision or a dream about it. Like, 
I mean, that seems to be <gasps> the, like the basis of this complete it's, charade. It's truly gobsmacking. Yeah. But it leads me back to one of my favourite lines in Succession when Logan goes to visit the APN newsroom floor and gives them that pep talk. Oh, and you Greg's <laughs> Greg's watching it and he goes, he's just cruising on the phone to Tom. He's just like cruising around on the floor like Jaws. But it's like if everyone in the film Jaws worked for Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that (laughs) writing is just... (laughs) And I've spent. (laughs) All right. Postcoital cigarette. Yep, so there you go. Uh, we will that that is our succession episode. Last yeah. week this was for the Americans actually. Yeah. So let's that was um, very satisfying. All Thank right, you we'll you see you next time. Back to regular programming next time. <laughs> oh, I forgot I almost forgot before we go. We've got a Brisbane live show coming Brisbane up. Brisbane live show. Brisbane live show. May the 19th. There's a handful of tickets left. I always love the Brisbane show. The atmosphere yeah. is always super fantastic for me with the home crowd. Yeah. It's a week after my 50th birthday, in fact. Um, Laurel tributes to the stage door. So if you no, want. Really don't. <laughs> So if you want, um, if you want to come to the Brisbane show, go to the Chat 10 website, click on events, you'll find all the details Mm -hmm. and we'll put some tickets. Run, don't walk. It's going to be spectacular. I'm not sure what life would have been like without my siblings. Shared memories, growing up together, all the fun stuff we'd get up to. They were my first friends. Right now in New South Wales, there are over 15,000 children in out-of-home care and many of them, including sibling groups, urgently need a nurturing, safe and stable home. Research shows that when siblings stay together in out-of-home care, they have much better and more stable long-term outcomes. Education, development, it all improves. Right now, there's a critical shortage of carers in New South Wales. So if you can open your home and your heart to siblings in need, Contact My Forever Family New South Wales on 1300 782 975. Siblings who stay together, thrive together.